We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the backfield to the left, Flacco from under center from the 25, play fake to Hunt, and a roll out to the left. Flacco eyes downfield, deep shot, left sideline, wants Cooper, he has it, running free at the 20, at the 10, touchdown! With a flag, but Amari Cooper is in the end zone with a 75-yard touchdown. Pass interference, defense number 37. That is the decline. It's over the play, touchdown. Amari Cooper did it again. What did I say? D'Angelo Ross didn't play a snap of defense. Let's go at him. What do they do? Dial up a shot play. They get man-to-man, and Amari runs a double move. He runs an out and up. Flacco hits him. They had worked on that play Friday in practice, and it was a beauty then, a beauty now. Amari Cooper, three catches, 150 yards, and a touchdown. That's his fifth 100-yard game of the season and his first on the road. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. We have uh, plenty to talk about. It's packed. We're post-Christmas, so we hope your Christmas treated you guys really well and that you are recovering. I I know there's uh, always that, you know, you have a Monday Christmas or weekend Christmas, then you go back to work. Some of you go back to work on that weird week of nothing between Christmas and the new year, right? These two things. This is the thing that's interesting, Andrew. I always kind of find it funny, as Andrew Spade's with me, obviously, is that you have that week in between but they're both on weekends so it almost feels like there's this excuse to have a full work week in between christmas and new year right and it's it leads to the most unproductive work week in the entire calendar year it's like the uh the lost week is kind of what we used to call it back when i was in more corporate america you know what i'm saying i do and i'm very grateful that my day job uh has us off all week without me having to take any time off so they they put it together that between Christmas Eve being on a weekend and then Christmas being Monday, anyway, they they came up with enough days that that it's a full week off. So I am uh, I'm loving life right now. Very happy to just be soaking in Browns pre playoff vibes. Uh, I I think I know we're going to talk about the game and kind of you know go through everything we learned. I, I we didn't I didn't talk about this when we were doing the rundown, but I just was seeing on on Twitter that. Uh, uh, 
Big Cat from Barstool has the Browns and his uh, Super Bowl contenders tier right below the uh, Ravens as the favorites. And uh, I heard that on a different podcast this weekend after the game, the NFL uh, Blitz, I think it's called, or uh, other national media giving the Browns a ton of love for what they're doing. Um, the Zero Blitz from uh, Yahoo. This this game against the Texans really was one that caught everybody's attention because of what they did to them on the road and because of how well Flacco played. And so the narrative that you and I have kind of been batting around for the past few weeks as they beat the Jaguars and find, found a way to beat the Bears and they've kind of been growing into things. Now I think a lot of people, that combined with the Chiefs kind of <laughs> laying an egg yesterday uh, at home against the Raiders – there's this increasing narrative of like, well, who do you trust in the AFC at all? And it's really, I mean, obviously the Ravens, what they did last night, incredibly impressive. So you've got them and then you've got the Dolphins who are right there. Those teams play this weekend. The Browns are kind of the third team out of everybody's mouth, which if you think about where we were a few weeks ago, what, six weeks ago now when Deshaun Watson was declared out for the year on that Wednesday, from from there to here, I mean, the season's been a roller coaster. That's the biggest roller coaster swing yet. Yeah, it's fi- it's finally good that they're catching you know catching up with some of this. I understand why people couldn't trust the Browns. I think Andrew, it's pretty obvious as they're doing that quarterback shuffle, and you get more and more data from from what the quarterback. Everything driven about where teams are going is largely tied to quarterback performance. And now that you've seen Flacco do it for four weeks, I think you start to see more people understanding that there's some sustainability to this. And it's like, oh, you know, they also have that defense because I'm listening to some NFL network stuff in the background as I'm working over the weekend. And, you know, Steve Smith, and this is nothing against any of these guys, but there's just a pretty obvious uh, thing that happens. These these guys who cover the league in total act like they watch every game. There's not many of them that actually watch every game because Steve Smith's like, well, the Browns are clicking on all cylinders offensively. They're running the football really well. They're throwing it really well now with Flacco. And I'm like, okay, my friend, they are not running it well. Anybody who's watched them recently knows that they're not running it, it, it really at all. We're going to talk about that. But this, you know, the, the the guys who cover the league do this with like their peripheral vision. They're not yes. watching every yes. game. And I understand that. That's a lot to ask. That's why we respect some of those guys who clearly do watch a majority of the games, right? So um, it does feel like, to your point, and and what we're seeing around the NFL is that there is a lot of catching up going on and that your Cleveland Browns are firmly in the tier that most people are respecting, which is important to all of us, right? We want your team to be enjoyed, to be respected. I think we're in the middle of that. Now, the bad part that comes with the success was – this really fun tweet last night about three teams are still alive for the one seed, the Dolphins, the Ravens, and the Browns. You go into Sunday night football, Andrew, feeling really positive about the opportunity for the Browns to really yeah. like Ravens going to lose this one on the road. It starts out hot. They get a big play to George Kittle, and mm-hmm. then Brock Purdy just vomits all over himself the rest of the game. And I knew <laughs> that was coming. This guy is not – I think Brock Purdy's doing some great things. He's not the MVP. He's done some nice – things this year he's fine but he is uh, is is more prone to mistakes than we've seen recently it's funny the afc north and san francisco some of the data here is a bit jarring that three teams in this division are of the four games they've lost are the teams behind four of the three of those four but yeah. i just 
don't have this idea that Brock Purdy is an MVP caliber player, even though he's had some nice games this year. And I was just hoping to myself he could put together one of those nice games this year still against the Ravens. And then I didn't care what he did the rest of the way, but he has four interceptions and it's a really frustrating outcome on primetime television because you want to feel like your Browns are getting all that spotlight, but but rightfully so what the Ravens did to them gets them the 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 you know the situation for the Ravens the rest of the way is favorable. Obviously they play the Dolphins and that'll be tough, but they get the Steelers at home to close the season out. So the division is tilting very much in their favor. They would lead, need to lose these next two while not impossible. Hard to see them losing that Steelers game. So you start to lose a little bit of faith there, but you just needed the Ravens to lose one of these last three or, you know, find a way to lose one yeah. of them so that these two games, you could, you could sort of split them up because the Dolphins travel to, to Baltimore next week. And they, you know, they beat, um, you know, they beat the Rams and I can't, I can't remember. They had a tight one the week before. Uh, if I recall, Andrew, I, I don't remember off the top of my head who they played in that, uh, that week 13 game, but they had a tight one there. And they it's barely like, squeaked by the Chargers, and then that's it. they that's escaped it. the Rams in overtime, and then the Jaguars had a chance, but kind of shot themselves in the foot a bunch. They they've gotten they have not gotten a bunch of teams' best shot is I think the way that I would say it. Uh, you you go back to even midseason when the Lions go into Baltimore, and it's like build is a is a classic instant classic, and it's thirty eight to six. So yeah. what what the Ravens are really good at, and I think what they did that the Forty ers had trouble with is that they they out physical the physical teams often and are are able to play in such a way that teams that typically rely on positive game script run the ball establish the lead and then put their quarterback in safe situations the ravens turn that on its head very very well it's exactly what happened to the browns in week 4 and the 49ers the lions kind of have a, a similarity in that they they put these lopsided results up, but it's largely a, a function of the fact that they're able to protect the quarterback by running the ball to establish the lead. And to me, the most surprising thing about last night, I think you can run the ball on this Ravens team, but I think they kind of seduce teams into passing against them a lot because of the way that they align and these sorts of things. And Kyle Shanahan threw the ball way too many times last night. In the first, this is this is where the stuff that people say about Kevin Stefanski, it was 100% true about Shanahan. Christian McCaffrey was getting whatever he wanted on the ground last night. And the Ravens were not really in a position to stop it. Those, you know, Roquan Smith is a, is a good linebacker, but he's, he's in the run. He's mostly good at making tackles down the field. He's not an overly physical player. He's undersized. So you can put them in some uncomfortable positions with Smith and queen as their linebackers. And the 49ers didn't seem interested in doing that. They wanted to kind of make, Brock Purdy's MVP case or something? I don't, I don't know what their plan was. I didn't like it. And it leads to the situation where you get a bunch of short fields for the Ravens. The 49ers defense didn't play particularly well either. And all of a sudden, it's lopsided. And, yeah. that I, you know, as as quick as it showed up that the Browns had a shot at the number one seed, it, it pretty much walked right back out the door. Which is a bummer, right? I mean, and, and again, you're watching. I don't know how many times I could say, of course, like verbally, of course, right? You know, you're right. McCaffrey ran 14 times for 103 yards, running for essentially eight yards a carry, you know, like. And that was um, the case from the jump. Like, yeah. it wasn't like he got hot late. Those yards were there. And 
I, I'm not, I do not fully understand why they didn't want to take them. Pretty strange, man. I, I think again, too, like <laughs> the Ravens are on the similar heater that the Browns are on where things are bouncing their way. The ball is sort of moving their direction. Now the Browns have given it away a lot more than the Ravens, but Obviously, Baltimore's doing a lot of things at a high level right now. It's five turnovers to none last night. That's the difference in the game. So it's tough to see. This is not over, right? The, the, they still have to go win two more games. Baltimore does. The Browns have to do their part, too. But that was a real kick to the opportunity that you thought was pretty realistic with these two teams that they had looming. So, And I think you said last night, Andrew, it's like this is the indicator of why parlays fail so often. Just one little thing. Right goes wrong and that's the mm-hmm. situation but we're not going to dwell on it any longer right so you move on you start looking at the the realistic situations here the browns have a chance to pretty much seize the five seed which would clinch a chance to go play i think we could all agree below average afc south competition in the first round so that's what's at, at play here obviously winning thursday keeps the pressure on baltimore because again anything can happen and they could lose too so you want to keep that pressure on but you want to put yourself in a good position so that you, as the five seed, have a, have a chance maybe lock that in. In week 18, you can decide whether to rest some guys or not. And this game was very important for getting to that point. Obviously, the Browns 36-22 win, uh, you know, winners in Houston. And you know we always want to do what we do, which is a day later than normal because of the holiday here. But we want to peel back the things that we learned. And, and I think the biggest thing that we learned, we're going to start on offense, is that you know, Joe Flacco and Kevin Stefanski tied to him. They're very comfortable. And I think this was Joe like showing you, Hey, I've played two or three games now, right? This is the fourth game. This is like his preseason. You got to remember the guy didn't get a training camp. He didn't get any of those things. You normally get to get yourself ready, build those relationships, the camaraderie, all that stuff. He's clearly getting more comfortable. Andrew, he puts together, a pretty damn remarkable performance. I know that we, we all talk about Amari Cooper, which I think deservedly so. Amari was really special in this one, but you're talking 27 of 42, 370, 370 through the air, three touchdowns. I mean, I take one of the interceptions off because it was a Hail Mary before half. So you're talking about one turnover. And I think that turnover worthy play that is labeled is a bit spicy to me because I, I think when you watch that play his wide receiver could have done him a little bit more of a, favor uh Marquise Goodwin going up and trying to maybe fight for that football but he also had to step into the mouth of a defensive lineman who was who was hitting him he got pressure and he couldn't get his full body weight behind a deep throw down the left left sideline so I thought as far as this goes and again take grades for what you want but a 91.5 from Flacco offense I thought that was one of the better Browns quarterback games that we've seen in a substantial amount of time really you know in the fret in the, in the like the face of adversity he threw he threw against 14 um, drop back pressure scenarios. I thought he delivered some spectacular throws against tight coverage. I thought he delivered some footballs into uh, chaos in the pocket. And I think that those plays stood out, but I just want to kind of give Joe credit. And I think that we're, we're talking about why the Browns are getting this more national perspective of respect going into these last two weeks. It's because of performances like this. And I know you were very much on top of this, Andrew, with him you know, trending upward, he can get more comfortable. He can be better. Well, this is, if they get this version of Joe Flacco for the rest of the season, no reason to believe we won't get some form of it. This is a team that can win playoff games and and Mm. really make loud noise. And and that's exciting. That's really exciting, man. Yeah. I think that 
the big picture piece that that you rightly point to there about not having a preseason, not not being in the organization for any of the off season. I think you know that stuff all is happens behind closed doors, so we don't see the work that these guys put in to fully understand the playbook, sort of own it for themselves. And Flacco's had the opposite experience where he's had to pick it up on the fly, basically get a little bit dribs and drabs week to week just to just to get by, just to survive. And it's created a dynamic where I I don't know that you know I think we know he has some limitations in terms of some of the inaccuracy, some of the decision making stuff that'll pop up from time to time trying to force a ball. But in terms of his fit with this offense, I don't think we have a good sense for where that stops, right? And how much improvement he can see on a week-to-week basis. The one thing I'll say that I think separates watching Joe Flacco from watching the other Browns quarterbacks we've seen this year and in years past uh, is his performance under pressure. And I think it comes down to a composure element, a mental element that has been lacking. I think it was the thing that made me the most convinced to move on from Baker Mayfield was uh, unease under pressure. It's the thing that has kept me from buying in on Deshaun Watson since he's been back is that he cannot settle when he's seeing the rush in front of him or, or he, he struggles to anyway. Joe Flacco has performed well relatively under pressure. Every quarterback struggles with pressure. That's just how the NFL works. That's why teams blitz. That's why pressure works. But He's relative to the other players that have been here, the other quarterbacks, he's performing better under pressure. And he's he's making plays sometimes out of structure after being pressured that you wouldn't expect from a quarterback his age with his limited athleticism. The combination of those two things, Jake, makes it that limiting the downside piece of the of the pressure piece and combining that with some of the explosive stuff he's able to do through these play action things, which I know you're going to talk about it really accentuates the best of what this offense can be because they are going to get pressured with two backup, backup tackles. We need a word for that, by the way, double backup, super backup, something along the lines to indicate that this is not the guy that was sitting on the bench week one, rent, right? This rent, is like rent a tackle, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. He's, he's, yeah, he's playing behind a couple of U-Hauls. And so that, his ability to sometimes make a, a good play out of a pressure situation, at least handle it with composure is going to help limit the downside. I think for the most part. And then the upside is the big play stuff that we saw on Sunday. It's an intoxicating combination. And obviously to your point, we will keep saying it. It changes completely changes the dynamic of where this team can go because that paired with this defense is what we were talking about, about all season. We, we go back to the 49ers win in the wake of the 49ers win. The question was, Deshaun Watson gets healthy, comes back. If he can play as an average quarterback with this defense, it's a it's a team that can get hot and win the Super Bowl. And that's where we are again with a quarterback that came off the street. Little data to back up what you're saying there, which I think is well articulated. So Deshaun Watson this season went under pressure. He had 76 dropbacks, so he's 22 of 51, 259 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. So 43 completion percentage. He had one big-time throw, four turnover-worthy plays. Okay, Now, I can't uh, uh, give credit here for scramble yards. He scrambled on nine of those. Um, I don't have the number of yards there, but he did gain some first downs in those pressure situations, so we want to give him some credit for that. But a 44.1 
overall offensive grade. So he does he does have a decent run grade. So he did get some of those with his legs here and there, but a 40.4 pass grade. Okay. So that's Watson under pressure this year. Now we get to the two others, which is pretty ugly. You get PJ Walker under pressure, 15 of 37 on 52 dropbacks, a 40% completion percentage, only 180 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. He had two big time throws while under pressure, but he had eight, a whopping eight, Andrew turnover worthy plays. So that's pretty bleak, right? Dorian Thompson Robinson, even worse, 10 of 30. You'd expect this for a rookie. 10 of 30 on 39 dropbacks, only a 33% completion percentage, only 83 yards, three interceptions, a 35.2 pass grade, three turnover-worthy plays, no big-time throws. So again, those three clearly did not handle pressure very well. Most quarterbacks don't. That's why teams value paying interior pressure and guys who can win off the edge. Here's the difference and probably a large part of why you feel different about Flacco compared to the others. So 59 dropbacks against pressure, 25 of 52, so a 48% completion percentage, 276 yards, three touchdowns. Only um, uh, There were four interceptions, but the two came in the one in this Texans game we we're just talking about on a deep throw up the left sideline where the wide receiver needs to do something more to help. And then the late, they don't have a kicker, so they don't kick the field goal right before half. He throws it into the end zone and uh, that ball gets intercepted. But three touchdowns. Uh, like I said, three big time throws, three turnover worthy plays and a 64.8 pass grade. So he's he's at the 50 percent completion percentage. He's able to stare into it, be more consistent delivering those footballs. The passing grade, in my opinion, reflects it. That's been a big part of why some things have felt different for you. Obviously, there were the uh, two big time throws under pressure in this game that I think obviously were, were really big time, um, you know, uh, parts of keeping drives alive that fadeaway he had to Amari Cooper who he was getting held on to by the defensive line uh on that I think it was a fourth down again again couldn't kick so he he made a play and Amari kept the toes in on the left sideline then he did a great job of climbing the pocket on another play action and delivering the football too so um we just want to give Joe sort of the credit he's he he deserves here right playing with inconsistencies at tackle and at times you know like Last week, missing Batonio and Posich and playing and finding ways. Now, if Joe could stop shooting himself in the foot with some of the turnovers that he's had that are driven by him, you'd be talking about a much better overall passing grade and some performances. But he deserves credit for battling back, and, and he deserves credit for being able to make some throws against pressure because normally what happens with these guys who are older is they don't want to take the hits that their body used to take, and they shy away from pressure, and that's where it goes downhill. And he has uh, proven that he will wear those hits. He will take those uh, moments of duress in the pocket and deliver the football. So he gets a lot of credit for that. So, so again, I, I just think you should feel really optimistic about where Flacco's going. He could get out of his own way every now and again. But this game in particular, I thought it was it was pretty near flawless, Andrew. I mean, as far as the collective whole, the one throw that he's getting labeled with as a turnover-worthy throw, I didn't even have a problem with. He could have taken some other routes on that one, but he wanted to, before halftime, take a shot up the left sideline to a speedy receiver. I understand the idea of chasing big plays there, so I don't even have a problem with that one. But I, again, 370 yards, putting the football where it needed to be all game. He plays on time, in rhythm, and I think the offensive line has a pretty good feel for where he's going to be in the pocket, even if these guys aren't the best collective group. They have a good feel for where he's going to be in the pocket and where he's going to move to when he gets off of his spot. And um, obviously the 
delivery of the football, the catchability of the ball, something Amari Cooper has been gushing over for weeks is, is showing up on tape as well. And uh, it's, it's just, it's the most welcome surprise of a season that we didn't see coming. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, people are in love with him, which I get because he's winning ball games right now and he's, you know, making some great throws. But I just think that the thing that we're underestimating for the love that he's getting is how unexpected this outcome has been from him. And I think that, you know, in a season where we've just been talking about what you just said, Andrew, when we're craving this average quarterback play to, uh, you know, just accentuate this defense, make them a little bit better. And like, this is what, if you get like, Hey, this is what really good offense looks like in a game. And then you pair it with that defense when they went up 36, seven, I don't really care what happened after that. Cause it was over and the, the, the rotational players are in and, and the, the Texans scoring a couple touchdowns was irrelevant to me. That's it. Like being up 36, seven with 11 minutes to go. That's what it can look like when you pair that defense with an offense that can score some points. And that's not even including the ability to kick some footballs at a better clip and do those various other things. And they shouldn't even have seven on the board. We're going to talk about that in a minute. From yep. the special team side, it should have been 36 nothing. So that's the good stuff, man. And you want to see why we're excited. I remember way back when, when we were talking about Watson returning. I'm not sure if yes. you remember this. We yes. were like, imagine if they just get better offensively to accentuate the defense. And then you're talking about real Super Bowl exactly. aspirations. And we're in the midst of like, oh, if this is what they can be offensively, Maybe the Super Bowl aspirations are pretty damn real. It it really does all come back to the defense playing the way that they. I know we're going to talk about them in a minute, but but then the offense, the the pressure is off the offense, and I think the thing that you said about the self inflicted turnovers from Flacco are the ones that are frustrating. The ones where he's in a clean pocket, is not getting pressured, and just kind of makes a poor decision, tries to put a ball someplace he can't physically put it. Those sorts of things. Those are the ones. But I think. You didn't see any of those Sunday, right? That that was not the story behind those interceptions. So that to me is progress. I know that it's not going to be all roses with him. He is not, has never been a flawless quarterback. There aren't many, by the way, right now, flawless quarterbacks in the league. We watched what Patrick Mahomes did yesterday. Um, even Lamar's performance last night against the 49ers was really more a function of his running than passing. I, I remain... I said it on Twitter last night. I remain a little bit unimpressed by their offense in terms of it's like the big plays are are largely a function of out of structure stuff. They don't scheme stuff that often. It's it it tends to be more like their their scheme passing game is kind of like okay, nice man. Like I, I, and it relies a lot on a rookie say Flowers creating separation at a pace that it's it's really impressive what Flowers is doing. But yeah. they're still getting nothing out of Bateman, almost nothing out of Beckham. Mark Andrews isn't there. I, I don't I thought last night was more about the 49ers than the Ravens, not to take anything away from them. I their deep and obviously their defense is, is incredible. But I I my point here before I lose myself completely in wanting to bash the Ravens is there's not any quarterbacks right now in the league overall that week in, week out are making you go, wow. So Flacco isn't I, I wouldn't even say he's in the top tier, but he's definitely in the tier of guys that can Obviously, score points put you in a position to win, and with this defense, that's enough. Especially this season, that with that defense, this is it's enough. And I think that's a big part of this. This has been a weird season. Offenses are struggling. So if you have a team that can muck it up, you're actually positioned pretty well. We have to give Amari Cooper love, too, obviously setting the franchise record. I didn't know if anybody would ever touch the 261 in that magical Jacksonville game from... Josh Gordon. So Amari obviously 
gets credit. We talked about him in the immediate reaction show. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole too far. But what I do want to say is that it's not just he's doing well for the Browns, Andrew. So he's actually across the NFL, his 633 receiving yards since week 10. That's the most in the NFL. And and, and Njoku's got like 450 or so. So it tells you kind of how well the Browns have been throwing the ball of late that, that, that these guys are near the top, which is which is awesome what we want to see ultimately. But just having Amari Cooper playing this way to the point that he's among the NFL's best receivers changes things a little bit, right? I mean, it just like the ability to go to Amari as a true one playing well does unlock different levels of this offense because both of those deep catches were special like the first one the ability to show late hands and then catch it through the chaos of jimmy ward kind of getting his arms up in the catch pocket and there's just a lot of distraction there the second one up the left sideline getting distracted obviously the, the the i can't remember he's a young defensive back it wasn't either steven nelson or uh, stingley at the time but just was grabbing his arms and he, he he's able to go up and catch that one Mm-hmm. numerous toe drag catches on the sideline he runs the route stuff is still perfect he ran this sort of like walking slant that was lovely he ran a blaze out that was so good i have to cut up the film and post it somewhere but just everything he was doing was working and like if this is the version you're going to get of amari cooper going into the, the next two weeks and then into the playoffs that type of heater he's on is what you ride to really big games and he's in the middle of it and that changes again I'm about Flacco changing things for the offense. That also changes things because he's going to create opportunities for himself and others, and it's sort of playing itself out in real time. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's probably I definitely being slept on what Amari's doing. I think I, I think it was Kyron Samuel said on Twitter this weekend, if Amari acted the way other number one receivers acted, he would be getting a lot more love. I think we kind of we get lulled to sleep by it because he doesn't seem to impress wet. <laughs> so he makes, he makes amazing plays look fairly routine because he doesn't seem overwhelmed by what he's doing. I, I think that's, that is part of it, honestly, is that he is just doing his job and he's doing it incredibly well. I don't think even the Browns thought that they would get this out of Amari Cooper's late career. I, I really don't because I think, He's playing as one of the best wide receivers in the league over over the second half of the season. Yeah. And it's changing the course of what the future could be. As a lot of people tried to sure. write him off, they're going to get rid of that contract in the offseason. Like you can't this guy's playing too too well. You can't you can't, you know, write that in pen. That's not in my opinion a very feasible thing to think you can just go replace that guy with that money slot because it doesn't always work out that way. So, again, and he's like this perfect balance of I mean, I think we knew he was pretty like quiet uh soft-spoken when they traded for him right like we had this idea of who Amari Cooper was from afar watching him back in his Oakland days and obviously watching him in Dallas because he became more in the spotlight with that organization but he is the the like living embodiment of a wide receiver version of Nick Chubb which is which is amazingly coincidental right but like very welcome here because you talked about that you just said it a moment ago which is what Kevin's big thing is when he talks about Amari which is do your job like these guys are just do their do your job types and and that professionalism and stuff is sort of i think filtering to everybody else on the roster now they're down nick and that part of it stinks but like his ability to do that show up be on time do the work you're supposed to do 
and then carry on with your business as usual, I think it does impact the rest of the roster and it's having a positive, uh, a really positive effect. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And it makes a difference then with the rest of the passing game too. When you have a player that's playing at this level, it creates more space. It's going to create more opportunities. Other teams are going to see what he did against, again, Derek Stingley, good player, and say, well, obviously we need to devote more resources to making sure we've got Cooper covered because Flacco is going to find him. So then that should create more opportunities for Elijah Moore, Cedric Tillman, David Njoku, Jordan Akins to find space that is vacated because Cooper's getting more attention. I just kind of want to echo what I said a second ago. If you if you listen to these guys and they give them game balls and they let them have a little moment to say something, they're all saying the same thing about the one and know this week, do your job mentality, and they're finding players that sort of embody that, which I think is which is really cool, right? There is no George Pickens on this roster anymore. That type of that type of player personality isn't in this group. They all have unified to speak the same language and you want to know why they're 10 and five through the chaos they've dealt with. There's your answer. Last thing on the offense is that the run game is still, you know, I mean, if you can throw it for 370 yards and three touchdowns, you're quite all right with that outcome, Andrew, no problem, but they didn't run it well again. And I noted here because somebody wanted to talk about some of Flacco statistics, which I think are very flattering through four games, but it's not like, I still don't think, Andrew, they signed Joe Flacco to throw it 40 times a game. I, I feel relatively <laughs> confident in that. They're doing it because it's working and Joe is playing well, and that's great. It's great. And they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. Yeah. They don't have a choice. They've run it 76 times over the last three weeks for 172 yards. That's 2.2 yards per carry, a full yard and a half worse than anybody else in the NFL right now. Yeah. They're yeah. bad. They're really bad. Now, the question I have for you is what's your concern level at it going through the rest of the season? Because the offense is like we're simultaneously saying this offense is better, more consistent than they've ever been. They're putting up more points, yet we're talking about having one phase of that offense be absolutely awful. Yeah. And I just want to know because there's there's several different things that you can kind of branch off of this, but like, how concerned are you about this part of the team going into the rest of the uh, season here? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of context insofar as it was the the Jaguars, who are a, a very good run defense team, the Bears, who are also a very, very strong front, and I think the Texans, if if they have a strength, their defense is not great, but if they have a strength, it's run defense, right? They're, they're, the way they ta- they, they're very aggressive and physical. So part of it is the schedule. Obviously, it's not getting any easier with the Jets coming to town on Thursday night. They can run against the Bengals. The Bengals are bad against the run but that game might not matter. So now you're just talking about the playoff matchups, which I think we'll get into as that picture clears up. I'm not super concerned about it from the standpoint that I don't think that <laughs> it is what it is. I, I don't, I think it's broken in a way that's not going to get fixed because it so much of what's happening is about the tackles being who they are. As we mentioned before, not backups, 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 and the interior being inconsistent in a way that is just seems to be baked into who they are now. So, and then the third piece of this sort of trifecta is that the running backs are all, they're all fatally flawed in one way or another. Kareem Hunt can't physically move. He, he does not have the NFL's caliber athleticism, you know, and I don't mean that to me. This is just what happens to players as they get older. Jerome Ford's vision is streaky, I guess is the way that I would, describe it sometimes he sees it sometimes he really doesn't 
Yeah, inconsistent for sure. Good call. Yeah, and his long speed is much better than his, or much more reliable and electric than his burst. He's very slow to get going. He's great when he gets going, but until then, it's he's he's not a difference maker. And then Pierre Strong is probably the flashiest runner of the three, but obviously has all sorts of other inconsistencies that are keeping him from being more involved. So they have three different issues that all combine, as you have really laid out uh, time and time again on Chalk Talk. It's if it's not one thing, it's the other thing, and so I think that's just where they're at. I don't see that getting any better. I don't think it's going to improve. I don't see what the path would be for it to improve. So they, I'm not concerned because I don't see a path to fixing it. So it, it's like, <laughs> it, 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 you just got to live with it. Well, the thing that's nice is that off of that run game, there's the old adage that's out there forever that you can't have play action unless you run it well. Teams on it. Well, they're the living case of that. You know, and I know this has been disproven by people that do football data for a living. This is like the Browns last three weeks or four weeks with Flacco with the Rams is like an embodiment of this being the case. They have been one of, if not, I would label them the best play action team the last four weeks, despite not running it at all, essentially with any effectiveness or any efficiency. So the the reason that you still run it is because, you know, you're still able to find some answers to the deception stuff right so they're able to find those answers with play action so you still have to set up things to look like run do some running occasionally and that's helping your passing game now maybe like you said and i think joel batonio had said last week when he was talking to the media it is quite often just one person not doing the right thing so there's hope that the that they can sort of find their groove and do some of that where they hit more of those all 11 on the same page do the right thing and you pop some of those runs but they're not going to be a team no matter how far they go the rest of the way here that is going to be like oh we're running for 150 this week book it like that's that shouldn't be your expectation so i'm mildly worried but if they can continue to find play action success off of this stuff that they're doing, I still think you can be successful enough uh, with elements of the run game to not be that concerned. Would I like them to be able to, you know, when they're up 36 to seven, run the football to run out the clock? Yeah, of course. But there's some give and take here. And obviously the injuries are impacting this more than any other place. And if there was an impact one place, this is the spot that I don't totally mind. Right. So uh, yeah. I will kind of leave I it at that. I'll just say one more time. I know that I'm beating a dead horse. I've said it every week. I don't see the harm in trying to get somebody else involved here because it's the end of the year. Look at what Ty Chandler has. Now I know that the Browns don't have anybody on their roster like Ty Chandler in Minnesota, but look at the difference that he's making fresh legs end of the year. Hasn't been running much. And all of a sudden he's just hitting holes hard. The, the Browns, I don't have a difference maker like that stashed away somewhere, but I don't see the harm especially maybe against Cincinnati when you maybe don't want to expose a player like Kareem Hunt to any more hits than you need to, get John Kelly some run. Just take a look, man, because if you're really talking about making a playoff run, I, I think you need to find some way to just get consistent fall-forward yardage, and the Browns currently do not have that player. I think they think it's Kareem Hunt, but he, he loses yardage because he can't get out of the backfield so often. We know how boom and bust Jerome Ford is. I'm just telling you, man, that the fact that they can't find somebody, I mean, Leonard Fournette signed with the Bills a while ago. I think that was a missed opportunity. The fact that they can't find somebody that can just kind of bundle into the line, put their head down and move the pile. It, it's true, though. When you watch these games, 
they're taking losses on plays that just can't be run for losses. Yeah, it's a problem. And, and to your point, would it be nice to have somebody they brought in or somebody like Zamir White, for example, who like a, a exactly. guy who's just another great example. Around? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, they're overcoming this issue because they're using the run game to sort of dress up other things. But, you know, banking on that to work week to week without running the football with any kind of efficiency is it's it's caused for like, I see you over there. You The problem, you're over there. I see you. Yep. But luckily you haven't come to the front of the room yet, but there's going to be a week where that could be the case and that that will be well, an uncomfortable thing. And and uh, we we're talking about this on the post game on the OBR streaming. Pete made this point and I think it's a great reminder. Think about when the Texans had Watson and they got up big on the Chiefs in Kansas City, but they couldn't run the ball. Yep. It's it's a playoff game. They're on the road. They've got the upset made and they can't close it out because they can't take time off the clock. That's the concern right, is that you you get up against a team that can score quickly. Say they go to Miami and Tua throws two picks and they're up 21-3 at halftime, but they can't run the ball to 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 take time off the clock and, and they've got Tyreek Hill sitting there. Yeah. You, you end up losing 27-24, something like that. These are the things that you expose yourself to if you can't close teams out. A lot of positive offensively, but there is that still looming there that they they you know we would like them to figure out if they can uh in some way they're they're trying to figure out a lot offensively they've done some obviously great things as we're pointing out but that run stuff i know they're talking about it internally right this is something that they're all going after but it is worth noting that it is still a pretty big problem we're going to take a break uh, and then we're going to hit on defense and special teams when we come back so word from our sponsors and we'll return We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, defense in this game, Andrew, through three quarters was everything we expected, right? They came back in late in the fourth quarter and closed the door, right? So the first team group was a special group. It was under 100 yards type of day, right? Back to the, we talked about this, the Clayton Toon game was kind of the game that mattered. Um, for kind of a cross example, Case Keenum deserves more respect than Clayton Toon, a rookie, but like, I, I think it was pretty obvious this was something that they could do and they did it, right? So on the road, mattered to this right going to somebody else's building and shutting a team down and there were multiple situations where after that kick return the browns punted it was 14-7 could have gave up some points there and made it even more uncomfortable you could feel that the texans crowd was getting back into it there were some moments there you know moments at the end where it's like okay it's 36-22 and the and the fans that stuck around here kind of like you know making this a little bit more uncomfortable but they did their thing and i hate that the points the seven points that shows up the 22 points in general are a fluke from this game that's not indicative of how the defense played they were lights out they go for 250 does houston but they really went for like 100 yards this is the team that you get like they overwhelm bad quarterback play in a unique way that not many teams do and i think that like Maybe the theory here is, and I know the Dolphins finally did just beat a team with a winning record, but the Browns' defense is essentially what the Dolphins' offense is, where if you're yeah. bad, yeah. they're going to overwhelm you, right? You can They can be beat. They can be like the, the Dolphins' offense can be slowed down. The Browns' defense can be beat in s- certain specific ways. But if you're bad and you can't get out of the rut, you can't process it, you can't call the right stuff, they're going to overwhelm you. And again, I thought that was on display, and it really mattered – to do it on the road because that's mm-hmm. something that they've been lacking uh, from this season. Yeah. You can say that they can overwhelm bad quarterbacks 
and and that's true. I mean, Clayton Toon, probably not an NFL player at this point. I think the 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 bar is that they overwhelm all but the best offensive schemes and quarterbacks. So it's not just bad quarterbacks. It's the Texans just went on the road last week and won in Tennessee in a game they had to have with Case Keenum at quarterback. Yep. Without Nico Collins, with more adversity, right? And that's Mike Rabel. It's a defense that I think we both have respect for. The guys that run that stuff are are they know what they're doing. It's not like it was a, a clown show up there. They found a way. This Texans team is solid offensively. The the offensive coordinator is a smart guy, and the Browns made them look like they didn't have answers. So that's what they will do with everybody that isn't at the top of their game. I think that's that's how I look at it. Is it's not it's not just the worst quarterbacks in the league. It is everybody that isn't executing at a really high level, either schematically or talent wise. And so you start to look forward to the playoffs and try and see how you match up. I I feel we talked about a little bit pre-show. I think it's the Ravens and the Dolphins for me that are the teams that will probably give Jim Schwartz's defense some trouble. But of course we just saw Jim Schwartz's defense acquit itself quite well on the road in Baltimore a month and a half ago. So I, I'm not putting a ceiling, as I've said a bunch, I'm not putting a ceiling on what this defense can accomplish. And I think it's a it's a reminder. You start really thinking, zeroing in on them being the five seed and going to one of these AFC South teams, all of whom they have beaten for um, the first round. And you feel very confident about the defense making that day miserable for whatever quarterback they're playing, in, including Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Houston 2 of 12 on third downs, continuing that third down stuff. They ended up going 5 of 15. The Davis Mills stuff kind of gets thrown in there, but that's it. The MO is the MO. They they created a couple turnovers. Uh, they didn't get a ton of those, right? But they got a couple turnovers created, tip ball interception, and then another ball where Keenum's arm is hit while he's throwing it. So those were nice to see because we've talked about the turnover bug with the same third down success. And to your point, man, That is exactly right about who they're facing the rest of the way. There are some offenses that we were talking about pre-show that we think could give them some fits, particularly maybe Miami's motion could give them some fits because that creates some chaos and what they like to do. But I feel like they have gelled in a really nice way here. I'm expecting a Thursday night football defense that is on fire with the crowd that knows what's on the line and is going to make life really, really difficult. I think Trevor Simeon is going to start that game. Uh, we'll see about that, but but in a short week, I would imagine that's going to be the outcome. It's it's just I I would want to remind everybody to enjoy it, right? Like uh, you, we talk about this a lot. Defense from year to year can be kind of up and down, unpredictable. The health stuff matters, right? There's a lot of variables, and it's just less the sustainability of quality defense is less uh, predictable than offense. This has been well documented by people far smarter than us, but I think that want to remind you that you're going to look at defensive metrics where they put together a strong performance here and they put together a strong performance against against Cincinnati on the way out the door. You're talking about a historic defense playing out in front of your eyes. And yes, they're 10 and five and they've done a bunch of heroic stuff. And there's been a bunch of gutty storylines about the offense, but the defense is the absolute framework of everything they've done. 10 wins this year and, and like their performance there in Houston overwhelming, with the guys on the field that mattered, you I just want to remind you not to sleep on that because you might never see anything like it again. 
in the NFL, like right. not the, in the NFL, you, you know, from your Browns. I want to keep it kind of tight there because yeah. anything can happen NFL wise. But I mean, again, when we talked about what we talked about, the success rate earlier this week, Andrew, last week, I don't know what week it is anymore. Um, <laughs> they were with a bunch of teams from like 2003 to 2007, like or, and even before then, right? Because it was the last 23 years. There are not many modern teams doing what they're doing now. The NFL changes. It's, it quickly catches on to what teams are doing, and maybe there's going to be some teams that really copy the way the Browns have built the cornerback room with Schwartz and stuff like that and try to, to steal some of these things and become as effective. But for now, what they're doing is just its really fantastic. It deserves your attention, and it deserves more praise than it's getting because they're so damn good at what they do and how they try to make offenses feel uncomfortable. And we got another example, Andrew, of like, we're kind of interested in, in, you know, UDFA types, these young rookies, late round picks can have yeah. and even first round picks, second, third, whatever, can have these games like a rookie. You flash, you have a good game, and then all of a sudden, you know, you go back, you have bad games. Well, we got two more great games from DeAnthony Bell and Ronnie Hickman. I thought Ronnie Hickman was really good in this one. thought he played effective football. I thought as far as the deep safety stuff goes, he did have. Um, one missed tackle where he came up and tried to to, to get a hold of Singletary, Devin Singletary, uh, who had broke through the line of scrimmage. But he had another one where he had another opportunity one on one and brought him down. Effective in coverage again. And then DeAnthony Bell, you're talking about between those guys, eight tackles. Uh, if you include assisted tackles, like 12, 13, just two more games where these young safeties are on the field for Thornhill and Delpit and proving that they can handle the burden too. Uh, they're not as dynamic as Thornhill athletically as, as Grant Delpit, obviously, is versatile. But is is like, you know, if you're talking about a specific position, and Jerron Harmon deserves credit too. He had an interception in the game. He's doing a bunch of stuff for him as well. Can they be down a unit and overcome it? Because the defense has been relatively healthy compared to the offense, and the defense is proving that they can do that. And I think, again, nothing more than what we learned here is the, t- the theme of the show. We're learning that the safety group can do that. And that is a huge pat on the back scenario because that's not easy. They put those guys in some difficult spots and they're stepping up and you want to know why the defense is still holding, you know, course here. This is, those guys are giving you great football the last two weeks. Yeah. There's absolutely a path where with Thornhill and Delpit out, they just can't, can't cope on the back end. Guys are running free simple things like reverses and end arounds aren't getting covered. The safeties are in the wrong spot and they're, they're giving up chunk plays that it happens in the NFL week after week after week. It happened to the, the Texans. They had three early injuries in this game, including to Jimmy Ward, their safety, their veteran safety. And all of a sudden the guys that were playing back there, you saw what happened. Cooper was some of those plays are, are Cooper making plays. Some of those plays, he was just open because the coverage wasn't up to it. So I, I yeah the the job they've done is great and then you start to spin it forward to think about surviving an injury to Grant Delpit he comes back for the playoffs but now you have the added versatility of trusting Ronnie Hickman so in the playoffs these games are it's all individual matchups right so yeah in the scenario where they're playing the Jaguars you have you can throw a change up at Trevor Lawrence where you you could put four safeties on the field. You can you can use Hickman as that deep, deep safety in situations where you want to throw an extra body Calvin Ridley side of the field. They they have the the versatility to do some stuff now because this depth has proven to be playable. And that will help Jim Schwartz come up with a more detailed and weird game plan 
I know that he's fairly predictable, but in the playoffs, everybody throws a curveball. That's how you win playoff games. So I think this is just another arrow in his arsenal for beating any of these teams in the playoffs. And Cam Mitchell looks the part too. That guy can come in and play. So his they physicality have, has been so impressive. So yeah, impressive have, how hard they're he talking is. about eight playable defensive backs that you could get real weird, like real weird. So exciting stuff defensively. They hold course, and really we want them to just hold it for the rest. Like a wish list is that Miles can finally, I mean, he had eight more pressures and he played a great football game. He's really dominant in the run phase. But if he could get a two or three sack game against the Jets on national TV and they clinch and they continue the narrative of how great this defense is, which is true. I don't know what DVOA has them at, Andrew, and I don't know if they've caught up from this weekend, but like they're they're really special. They're a special, special football group. So I hope they get all of the praise that they rightfully deserve, in my opinion, by uh, by this Thursday game, and they show out. And, and, and they've done that at home pretty consistently, and I know it's a short week, so anything weird could happen, but they've continually done it, man, and I don't yeah. really think we should be expecting anything different. They are neck and neck with the Ravens by DVOA for uh, best defense. They're currently leading, um, but it's it's close. And obviously it should be because the Ravens put on a hell of a show last night beating up what is by DVOA the first overall offense. So yeah. th- that's going to boost their numbers a ton. So it's neck and neck. But I think with the Ravens playing the Dolphins and the – unless I mean, unless the Ravens do a number to the Dolphins. Possibly. I, yeah, I think that the Browns are going to finish number one in DVOA, and I think they're going to finish number one in just about every metric. The, o- the well, only area that they struggle is when you start to factor in uh, EPA, for example, weights turnovers really strongly uh, for okay. obvious reasons that the Browns struggle there because other teams have had better turnover luck. Again, I don't know that the Browns have ever finished first in DVOA in the history that they've collected that DVOA data. I would imagine that's right. Not it's, you, you, I think they were in the top five, some of those Belichick teams, but that's so far back that a lot yeah. of people that are listening to this don't remember those teams. So <laughs> no, uh, right. I, I barely do. I, I really barely. It's it's yeah. just a, a, a pretty distant memory. I remember being in the municipal stadium for a few of those games, but only as a small kid. So yeah, this is, this is, I mean, I, to go back to what you said, it is historic stuff and I, it'll be interesting. It's another way this off season will be interesting because the temptation certainly will be, all right, so you've got this defense now. How do you fit? You know, what do you do to an offense? And yeah. and that's just, as you said, not the way the NFL goes. So it, it, it will be a different team next year. Not to say the defense will be bad. I don't think the defense is going to be bad. They've definitely found something here and they, the, the confidence, the swagger they play with that, that travel season to season, but it is very hard to put together a run of health which even though they've had injuries come in late, they, they have stayed relatively healthy. Yep. And the the sort of just consistency that they've shown, that doesn't happen year to year that often. Defense tends to be more random, so you just have to be prepared for that as you start to think about this as a multi-year project. But that's for later. That's for March, Jake. That's, yep. that's for April. Let's not <laughs> – don't bring that into late December, early January conversations because it doesn't matter. It's not relevant right now, and so – this is this is where you want to feel as confident and as joyous about this what this team is doing. And I am so excited, so excited to watch them embarrass the Jets on Thursday night. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for what it's going to look like. It's going to be really fun. Can't wait either, man, especially considering 
everything that's on the line in that game, right? And I, I can't also, you know, this offseason, what corner are they going to draft and what week will he make an impact? That's essentially <laughs> where we're at with them. Uh, you know what I mean? So we'll get there. Listen, let's close with special teams. So uh, I broke down, I wrote up the kickoff return stuff. The Browns were top five in opponent field position start on kick returns, which was great. Weeks one through 15. And then this week happened where they gave up a 98-yard kick return that was, you know, in any normal game, that is crippling at times to give those plays up and obviously something they can't allow to happen in the in the future these important games looming ahead but you have to understand that a lot of the guys that have stepped into these roles charlie thomas some of these others are guys that maybe weren't doing it for large portions of the season so there could potentially be some growing pains well we saw that on the first kick return the Texans took the football, uh, the Browns kicked it deep right. So if, if you're looking, if you were on the kicking team lined up, they're kicking deep right, which is the return team's left. The 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 first return with Damian Pierce, they decided to do a return right, which is what we would have called it back in the day. You're taking the football from outside the left hash and returning it all the way to the right to try to find a way to outflank the kickoff team or make a cut, one cut, get up field and find a lane. Well, the Browns weren't great on it, but they were fine. The Texans got the ball at the twenty seven. The next time you could see the Texans were setting that up and the Browns um, team to the wide side of the field didn't quite close or condense because what you're trying to do is box the return man in. They didn't do a good enough job of taking those large lanes to the field and condensing them and then the Texans didn't return right. They did like what I used to call a wedge return where you're trying to form two walls and create a run lane. So what happened is the guys outside, Cam Mitchell was one of them, and uh, trying to think of the other one who's condensing that down. Can't think of it off the top of my head. Uh, they they're too, they almost overrun the football. So it was uh, Mike Ford, actually. So they almost overrun the football. So when they try to sweep in, when they realize it's going to be an inside return, they're, they're out of the play. They've run past the returner, essentially, and they've run out of it. Then the people in the nearest spot to where the wall is being formed, which in this case were Pierre Strong, and uh, Charlie Thomas didn't do a good enough job of fighting pressure. And then there was one key block at the initial spot, which was against uh, uh, Tanner McAllister. Again, a practice and, player brought up. And kind of a hold, too. It was a hold. It was a hold. But in these <laughs> moments where everything's moving so fast, Absolutely. these officials can miss it. So they miss a hold there. And then, and then the contain man is Martin Emerson working inside, and he gets held for a split second that doesn't allow him to get off. But that's the risk you take. You got to fight through holdings and you have to box these guys in and have multiple players have a chance to tackle him. I'll give Pierce credit. He set it up well and made a nice cut. But that trickle effect from that kick return is huge, guys. You're talking about the kicker chasing it at full speed, pulls his hamstring, grabs it, falls down. He's out this week. So we have learned that um, the situation has told us now. We've listened to Kevin Stefanski while we're recording. Uh, Dustin Hopkins will be out this week. He's week to week. They're not IRing him or anything, but he is out this week, right? So that's the trickle effect one. The second of which is that the punter is forced to kick. So Corey Bohorquez is forced to kick off and he's swinging his leg more than he's accustomed to in different ways Mm -hmm. than he's accustomed to swinging the leg. So he hurts his leg. He's got a quad and they have had to go out and sign now two additional special teams players well and and I, you should it's also worth mentioning i i got real mad and, and yelled a bunch so i'm hoarse so like the the ripple oh, effects okay. here yeah i had to write the on it my fingers hurt right you, you get a little carpal tunnel flaring up so the, the it really the ripple effects here it's basically we're all 
I, suffering. I would say we're all week to week at this point because of what, it, yeah, you know, that one that one kick. So it's it's difficult. I, and I the one thing that's just worth mentioning, they did a good job of talking about on the broadcast. It, the special teams coach for the Texans coached with Ventrone last year in Indy. So is there a little bit of a I know what you know situation? And he kind of knew some of Ventrone's rules and how to break them. I don't know if that played a role. I mean, Damian Pierce is a hell of an athlete, too. That was just he can really open it up, man. So yep. the Browns, by I'm looking at DVOA already. By DVOA, they're about an average team uh, in the league. They're 17th by special teams DVOA. I don't really know how they measure that. I don't know what all goes into it. You mentioned they've been really good in, in opponent field position. I think that's definitely a great metric. Uh, but it's worth mentioning that that they are, DVOA sees them as about league average, which is is an improvement. Years past, they have been below average. So I, I think this is hopefully, you, you, like you said, you take this as a learning opportunity for some of these young guys that had not played kick coverage before, McAllister, Thomas, guys that are kind of new to the team, really. And uh, you hope that as they maybe get a little healthier, some of the guys that they weren't using on specials can come back and, and shore that up for the playoff. I don't mind that wake-up call happening here. You know, these special teams wake-up exactly. calls happen periodically, and it happening here instead of a wild-card playoff game is, is a welcome thing for me. So snap them into shape a little bit. Remind them that this can happen if you all don't do your job. Here we are. I think it'll rectify itself. They're, 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 those guys are too good athletically. Tanner McAllister is a good athlete. I mean, Charlie Thomas can fly. I, I think there's high high hopes for those guys. We'll see it work itself out. So the Browns did replace both kickers, like we said. It seems like we haven't heard anything on Bohorquez, but it feels like he's going to be out. They they brought in Matt Hack, um, two A's in that last name, Matt Hack. Yeah. Um, you have some info on where he's been, so he gets signed to the practice squad. Yeah, he's a Dolphins punter. He was with the uh, the Dolphins for four years uh, and then was with the Bills for a year and then the Colts for a year. So the, the most notable thing is that uh, he punted for uh, Indianapolis last year with Ventrone. So there's that okay. familiarity. He was with the Cardinals this offseason and then got waived uh, towards the end of training camp and has been at home, as far as I can tell, all, all season. So he's uh, the leg's fresh, Jake, is leg's how I'll fresh. put it. Yeah. All right. And then uh, we can talk about Riley Patterson, too. So the, the Browns signed Riley Patterson, who was with the Lions. Uh, he was with the Lions from 21 to 22 and then was waived, spent last year with the Jaguars, was 30 of 35 with the with Jacksonville, uh, 10 of 13 from 40 to 49, 2 of 3 from 50 plus, uh, only missed one extra point. He was with the Lions for most of this year, ended up back with the Lions this year, was 13. Uh, 15 of 17 but the reason he got cut he missed two extra points in his last three games so he's 35 of 37 on extra points this year and I guess they just didn't like what he was doing with extra points they gave him two chances which is uh stingy right and then uh, he was replaced by Michael Badgley and so the he was available and and I you know I think we talked about it personally a, a kicker that has kicked in the NFL for multiple seasons being available sitting around at this point because the Lions just moved on from him on the 19th of December is pretty good luck because there's not a lot of those guys just hanging around and there happened to be one. The, the other name that I was interested in, Robbie Gold, seems to be genuinely retired. And then beyond that, Mason Crosby is now kicking for the Giants. That would have been a fun one just because he's got a ton of experience kicking in, in weather having been with the Packers for so long. But the way that worked out, Cade York was going to kick for the Giants and then got hurt in practice. Crosby was on their practice squad. 
they end up needing to use him. The timing of it just really didn't work out. But uh, Riley Patterson is a is a you know is is a an experienced NFL kicker. The only thing I would say is he's kicked in Detroit and Jacksonville, so yeah. uh, indoors and then down south has not dealt with the conditions. He's from Edwardsville, Illinois, which is I think near St. Louis, and went to Memphis. So northern kicking is a different story this time of year. But as you said, Hopkins week to week. So you hope that. By the time the playoffs come around, not that the Browns will be at home anyway, <laughs> but uh, it'll be nice to it'll be nice to have Hopkins back certainly because I think he's become a real security blanket psychologically for all of us, right? Yeah, he has. He deserves credit. He should be a Pro Bowl kicker, and it's a little bit of a bummer if he doesn't get a chance to kick these last two weeks that he'll fall just short of the franchise points record in a single season because he was on the cusp of breaking that. So he deserved it, but I hope he gets the Pro Bowl nod that I think he also deserves. And again, he's. Most kickers would quit on that play, and I mean, hell, we're probably hoping he did quit on that play. But yeah, I'm okay you know, with that. Yeah, I mean, him, <laughs> him sprinting though is kind of like it's kind of who he is. You hear no, people talk I, I, about yeah. him; it's who mm-hmm. he is. But yeah, I would have preferred he just stood there, right? I, just, I you know. when you watch some of the film of Flacco on these interceptions, he Flacco needs to give Hopkins a little bit of advice about like how to be involved but not too involved because that's yeah. you don't want the guy to just give up because that can be dangerous too. But you do want to be not maybe going. Uh, I try. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You just fast. You kind of push them a little bit and you kind of take a look. But Flacco's got it down to a science, man. I I mean, I'm not trying to be rude to the guy, but I I know he's he's thrown enough interceptions in the NFL to kind of know (laughs) where he is still chasing your interceptions. You've done right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah, Hopkins, man, stop sprinting. Like, you know, and he didn't. If you watch it when he grabs his leg, it's at the very end when he grabs yeah, the leg. If he doesn't open it up that much, it doesn't yeah. happen. And, and you know, it, it, yeah, it's I'm not going to let it turn into a whole thing. Like I said to you yesterday, I, I, I'm not going to dwell on it because. Like with all of these injuries, man, like there's two you can choose two things here. You can choose to be down in the dumps about. Well, the Browns, it's just bad things keep happening to the Browns, or you can choose to do what they've done and just kind of move on from it and think about what's next. And it, it turns out that psychologically it's much, it's much more enjoyable to just kind of let it roll off your shoulders rather than doing the whole woe is me thing. It is very, very funny though, as you touched on at the top of the show, that they've had an injury plagued season and then week 17 will replace both their kicker and punter for a game just to see what that's like. Yeah. And in a short week, right. Where they, where they have to get (laughs) these guys brought in like, Oh, Hey, it's Christmas day, Monday, not even a regular short week. Right. It's Christmas day. Can you fly in Tuesday, get fitted for your uniform to wear out on the field on Thursday? It's like, that's uh, that's just an embodiment of, of what's gone on uh, for, for this season for these guys. But you're right. And we talked about like getting Riley in that situation is a great outcome considering you could be really SOL. Like, like we're looking at practice squads, looking at the free agent kick list. I don't know how we didn't remember him, but he is like, that answer is really great. Now he could be bad Thursday. Your expectations for the kicking and punting should be low in this game on Thursday because, and I know maybe we've started to just get used to feeling confident in them, but you should be low. But the, the, the track record of Patterson and like getting him having just been let go, like you said, not long ago, He's fresh into this season. It's a really, really great outcome. It will be a huge part of the storyline, so you'll hear it nonstop on Thursday night. Yes, uh, but but again, I just I want to commend them for finding two answers like this yeah. in the short the, period of veteran, time. Veteran, experienced guys that yeah. have done it in the NFL. It, it does feel pretty good, and I think 
yeah, it, it, I, I just think if if Hopkins can be back for the playoffs, then all of this will just kind of we'll just kind of let this ride. But you're right; it is also a bummer that he can't get that points record. So maybe maybe he can come back and kick week 18 in Cincinnati. Yeah, who was the kicker who a few years ago was kicking and then falling? Was it was it Hopkins who was doing that? Remember the kicker who was dealing with the the leg? It was a charge. It, it was Hopkins. All right. Well, he knows how to do it. Then just get yeah. out there, kick a kick and crumble, and yep. and uh, bolt it up. That's funny that that's Hopkins that did that. You know, it's ironic almost. Anyway, all right. That's the we got a little house cleaning. The only other piece of house cleaning that we learned about today is that PJ Walker is now on the active roster because uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's dealing with a hip injury, suffered late in the game, um, which is a bummer here because he was a really fun part of like. Uh, some of their short down yeah. packages and yes. some of their their stuff down in the end zone on on two point conversions. Uh, mm-hmm. He's dealing with a hip injury is going to IR, so we will not see DTR the rest of the season. It is nice that PJ Walker's been around, has familiarity with everything, and can step in and do things if they need him to. There's no like, hey, we had to go sign somebody off the street type of deal here. But you know, DTR is an immensely better option than PJ Walker. And we've seen enough injuries this year to know that you can never quite feel certain that somebody isn't going to find the field for your team. I was at about any to given say, moment. they probably need to add another quarterback to the practice squad. Like, I know that it feels like the season's kind of over or whatever, but they're about to play some very meaningful football. Scout team quarterback stuff is real, man. Yeah. And he so needs, so they, they need probably, they, they need to figure out who that guy's going to be now. And that's, that's an interesting question, actually, uh, because you're right. You don't want to see PJ Walker hit the field and you need somebody else on the on the practice squad to to make run things give those looks etc all right guys well that's it for today we will keep you uh, in the loop in the coming days this is going to all hit very quickly i'm going to try to put together a comprehensive review for your wednesday morning have another pod where andrew and i kind of look ahead at the game looming we're going to have a jets guest too so we'll try to get you a bunch of different things in a in a very short window uh, of time before the thursday evening kickoff make sure you get those amazon uh, prime uh, tv video whatever it's called subscriptions renewed or get yourself a trial or whatever it is because that's where you'll be able to watch it Uh, but it's going to be an exciting game Uh, it should be a a really great environment in the in the evening right night games are fun browns haven't had one of those here in a little bit so getting a night game will be fun and especially knowing that they can win and clinch a spot in the playoffs and then make you know sort of weak 18 and a relevant week for them uh, for the most part, right? Unless Baltimore loses, then you could kind of amp it up a little bit, but uh, it would just be nice to know you're kind of locked in that five seed range. Yeah. Uh, if you get this game, if yeah, you get this game done, it's really a win-win Jake, because they, they win, they clinch. And then the, if the Ravens win, then you have an opportunity to rest some players, potentially a few of them anyway, in week yep. 18, if they, uh, if the Ravens lose, the Browns win. Then now you've got a chance to potentially play for the division if the Steelers want to do the unthinkable and upset the Ravens. But it's not the fact that it's the Ravens Steelers means that you know the Ravens are going to get the Steelers' best shot. It's not like there's not a world in which Mike Tomlin has those guys lay lay down in that game, even if they're eliminated. So, yeah, I mean the the legend of Mason Rudolph, right? So we'll see. We'll just kind of see what happens from here. But but it is it is a little bit of a win win situation now for the Browns because. You would be, I think, pretty comfortable with them being the five seed, getting some getting some rest for key guys on on in week eighteen. You'd also be pretty comfortable, obviously, having a chance to play for the division week eighteen. And it keeps the Ravens pushing forward and playing hard into week eighteen. Whereas if they you know get this sealed up with the win over the Dolphins, they essentially have two bye weeks that they wanted to get really healthy. Great there. point. So great point. There's uh, plenty of layers to it. The, all those layers, though, we're going to try to cover for you 
leading into the weekend. So after the Browns result, we'll try to give you either a who they're going to play and when they're going to play and all that stuff because they've clinched or be like what has to happen to fully clinch in week 18 if the worst result happens. But we don't even want to go there. We expect the Browns to take care of business Thursday. We'll have plenty of stuff in the coming days leading up to it to explain how they get it done, what the Jets look like, and what to expect on Thursday night football. We appreciate you guys making this podcast a part of your uh, your part of your Tuesday or Wednesday whenever you're listening to it. You know that means a lot to us. The rate and reviewing of the pod has been great. Appreciate that, guys. And obviously all of those donations uh, to the link in the description of this podcast have been more than helpful, really made us feel like we can push this podcast into a greater space for a Browns community we're forming here around this Film Breakdown podcast. So thank you guys for that. Uh, for uh, the rest of your week, like I said, keep t- keep apprised of what the schedule will be. We'll keep you in the loop on that uh, and provide all the details and check out the OBR for all the written content you need. All right, for Andrew and I, we appreciate you being here. We go Browns. Go Browns.